everyone loves Inigo, but his flaw is he's too focused on revenge. Right. But that's also the thing that makes him cool and not just like a random Spaniard. Yeah, yeah, the catchphrase does a lot of lifting. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Dangerous Cracked Crystal in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 341 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about creating and playing flawed but intriguing heroes. But first, the party meets past lives in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Ash Ketchum's Gotta Catch Em All in the Character Creation Forge. And we are just getting back slash recovering from our first in-person games since like 20... Since pre-pandemic. March 2020? I mean, for all of us. Yeah, February 2020, I think. Mm -hmm. We had our whole group together, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Thrillicon is back, or at least for this time. We'll see when the next one is. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we do our usual thing where home group gets together for an entire weekend and we like schedule out slots for different games and we just play games back to back and uh, eat and drink um much more difficult to do now that there are many babies uh in the group now the cam is not the only baby because i recently found out that he's more he's over 30 which makes our group old now yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well i it also struck me that um you know, having having lost a member uh, during the pandemic, that makes me once again the newest member of the group. Oh, <laughs> at, you totally are. Yeah, yeah, at a, newbie. At a fresh face, nine years. <laughs> 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 All right. So, what did we play? We ki- we usually try to kick it off with something lighter. Um, originally, we were going to do like what nice Marines or Fiasco, but we ended up just playing another iteration of our another session of our on ongoing Pathfinder Two game. Yes, which is uh. You know, I I was talking, I was talking with Jim in the car afterwards. Uh, Pathfinder Two has so much of a design aesthetic that I that I really appreciate. Right, like it has done things like separate like the the broken high level magic into rituals that are available for all classes. Right, they're not tied to just you know quadratic wizards and things like that. It's it's done a great job of separating out ribbon abilities from combat abilities, and it's really helped tighten the math and really feels like um, there's lots of viable paths forward. And um, you know, like the the game will retain some semblance of balance. However, all of that is in service of Three action economy, uh, you know, ticky tacky, plus one, minus one, tactical combat that I am just Move, movement in five foot increments. Yeah, and I am just not into that anymore, or at this at this moment, right? Like the the theater of the mind doesn't work very well in Pathfinder because of all of that stuff, uh, and that that is the flaw of Pathfinder for me is that it's. It's too good at what it does. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm probably more in the middle here where... So this is the game where I've I'm playing the character I've talked about before, the Leshy, right? The the like walking, talking mushroom person um, who, you know, eats corpses because that's what fungi do. And 
uh, and is a monk. And I really like this iteration of the monk. Also got a little Beastmaster thrown in. Multiclassing is really, really easy. It's also really effective. Um, I'm having fun with the character. You're right. At the beginning of every round, it's like, all right, I got three things to do and I got to do all three things, right? Or else I've left actions on the table and I'm useless. Yeah. And I've built around being able to do an effective third action. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if one of those things is move, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. How do I how do I avoid having to pay for a move? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. But like for the for the most part, I'm I'm enjoying playing this monk. But I I do not know as I look ahead toward campaigns that I'm going to run in the future, do I want to run? pathfinder second edition and i that is definitely not a question i have a yes for yet i i, I mean it has a lot of the same problems that D has always had right of like it's difficult to telegraph threat it's difficult to um have like a narrative to a combat right like combats need to last less than five rounds and that's just not a lot of time um to really convey things in a combat setting um and like unlike D&D like you've got to get the tactical challenge right in order to really validate all the effort you put into building characters so as a DM you have to be on top of your game and ready to play you know the tactical chessboard game uh after switching you know and and completely switch minds from the sort of narrative you know role play storytelling um aspect in between it's you know if what you love about D D was that and that's what you've been missing in fifth edition like pathfinder second edition is is great uh it's just not what i've been missing in a long time yeah it's interesting i think at least for me and maybe maybe the group in general is sort of at a point where it depends on the story that we're trying to tell and that will determine the system that we use right like i'm i'm looking at it you know shorter arcs where i'm like oh maybe blades in the dark works for this but blades in the dark specifically like has a spiral and funnels you toward a resolution which is complete quickly or die right and so you know that's not really conducive to what we would have wrapped our heads around as a you know traditional level 1 to 20 dnd game because you're just not going to survive that long but maybe also the story doesn't need to be that long Speaking of adapting the system to the story, I, our next two games were new entries into the uh, into the lexicon for the group. Uh, you ran a sequel to Morning Glory using a birthright like um, sort of homebrew uh, approach. And I ran Murders and Acquisitions, which is a comedy game that, uh, you know, like the system is entirely secondary to producing stories. So why don't you talk a little bit about the the Morning Glory uh, I mean, epilogue? I mean, we've talked about Jim's actual birthright game before that we all enjoy the concept of, but Jim himself has admitted is extraordinarily difficult to run, especially when you're basically, you know, hacking things together from second edition rules. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I was going for the feel of that. Like we we're tr- we have always had you know friendly above the table arguments about like what happens in the immediate aftermath of the original Morning Glory campaign. Bastion is imprisoned in a grain of salt and then dissolved in the ocean. That's just everyone agrees that this that, is that, fact. That that of course was we was played a position. nice little alternate reality, <laughs> <laughs> and we we set out to play the one year after that 
in in the sort of birthright action economy of you get one action per month and it is commensurately large. Um, we didn't actually use uh, D&D character sheets, though. It's been eight years <laughs> since we had those sheets. I don't think anyone knows how to play those characters anymore. They're 20th level. It's way too complicated. So it was a very, very light forged in the dark hack in that people had action dots. And that's basically about it. And then, you know, stats for how large your treasury was, how many troops you can field, um, how famous you were, and, you know, how much magic you could tap into. And those, that's essentially what, where the consequences for failed or partial successes were funneled to that or just story consequences, right? Like, what are you trying to do? Are you, you know, trying to forge an alliance with uh, King Bornell? Partial success says, yes, you do. And there's a complication. Enjoy, you know. And we don't need to, you know, no stress boxes or or harm or anything like that. And I will say we played for 12 hours with lunch and we made it through nine months, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably pretty good for birthright. Well, and also like, you know, initially there's a lot of problems and open questions that need to be resolved. Mm-hmm. If you suddenly solve the day of mourning and return Seer back to where it belongs, like, oops. Now what happens? <laughs> well, eight years ago, I thought I was just ending a campaign. So, of course, I smashed the setting with a hammer, right? Never thinking we'd come back to it. And now we've come back to it and there are problems to resolve. Right. But so so and speaking of matching system to setting, what I really enjoyed about this is that it, the story that we told in that time was, yes, it was all of our characters, you know, individually working through what we viewed the ideal outcome for Corvair to be, right? What our priority was and what we wanted to see for the world, right? But what it did as an epilogue was it gave a chance to actually like crystallize who our characters were, right? Because for a lot of the time, like we had this extremely powerful force pushing us towards decisions right of like you know we have to stop this we have to do this like right, the this ends. is the first time our, our characters had a chance to breathe and there's some urgency right like you can't let problems linger for too long but like you know there's a lot of things that need to get done and what you prioritize and that says a lot about who you are and how you approach it says a lot about who you are and it was one of those times where it was like well you're evil and it's like no i'm actually doing all good things in good ways <laughs> you know like i am not evil right or or you know and, and i'm sure we'll recap this at some point so i don't want to spoil too much but like you know bastion betrayed all of existence for 3000 warforged right he had to grapple with that uh in that moment uh of like what is it exactly that you are like how are you going to redeem yourself and not be utterly destroyed by the people that you betrayed um and so he had to set upon a redemption arc right and so it was really interesting to see how unshackled from the constraints of like i need to grow more powerful i need to get more levels all of that sort of stuff like how each of us as players wanted our characters to be sort of eternalized uh Mm -hmm. in in the eyes of like corvair not just in the you know 12 people in the entire universe who knew what we were doing most of which were demigods (laughs) right and also say just as in terms of running it um, if you haven't run a system or a hack of a system where like 
death is not a concern, right? We weren't playing to find out if these characters survive. It's mostly a political game and they were in no danger of being assassinated because they're the only 20th level characters on the whole continent. Um, we were playing to find out what their legacy was, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's where the tension came from. You know, how will I or my actions or my nation or my children be remembered? Right. Yeah. Now, uh, it, it was something when Calic the Paladin decided to stop taking actions and just spend time with his daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he was like, oh, okay, I see where this is headed. What do I do this month? Yeah, I, I spend time with I my, spend time with, with family. family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But then, of course, the next morning, a bit hungover, we played Murders and Acquisitions. Yeah, so Murders and Acquisitions is a comedy game by Craig Campbell. Uh, it was released in 2016. Uh, I backed the Kickstarter and and have never gotten it to the table myself. It's our uh, table, so, yeah. Yeah, like we played it once at um, at PAX Unplugged mm -hmm. uh, for a one shot, and you know, here here's what I'll say is the system isn't going to light the world on fire, but also. The comedy is in the absurdity of a setting in which, like, corporate espionage and, you know, office politics uh, are just underpinned with actual violence, <laughs> right? Um, that's the absurdity of the setting, and the system just needs to enable that and get out of the way. And I think it did a great job of of doing that so that we could tell an amusing story of um some extremely violent uh succession style children vying for the affection of the uh, head of the company look i i will say it worked really well because the the comedy and the absurdity is brought by the players because you understand the ridiculousness of real world corporate life right right like like i actually didn't understand until later in the session or like it didn't i didn't remember that there was a setting that was different from the real world where like violence is okay i was just playing it as if it was the real world and yet everyone is still a terrible person stabbing each other in the back all the time it just made sense because we were in a corporation well, I mean, you know, when you go on a hunting trip and plan an assassination, it's a little bit different than... Uh, but we were in the bayou, and so it was like, I mean, we could probably get away with this, right? Like, there's a stat called loss mitigation. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I did find it extremely amusing that, like, despite the best laid plans, right? Like, the only thing that I, I'm planning, my, my set piece encounter for this session, you know, because I, I basically plan one set piece for a one shot and make sure that we get there in time to resolve it, uh, was an airboat fight on the bayou. Um, and then somehow, out of sheer coincidence, you go, oh, yeah, I'm a boat person. I live I on live, a super I yacht. I live on a boat, yeah. 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 <laughs> And then, and then Jim's character is an Olympic swimmer <laughs> from USC. Yeah, exactly, and I'm like, what are the odds? You know, like I try, like I pick, I pick something completely at random, and then you know, here we land. So, um, but very amusing. And, and look, you know, again, look, I, like, I'm I'm running a game like it's often the opposite, right? I'm running a game where uh, we have one gambler and one guy whose vice is uh, luxury, and I stuck them on a casino planet, and neither of them has gone to the casino. <laughs> <laughs> they know better. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. Well, that's the Thrillicon recap. Why don't we uh, move on to the Gates of Morning campaign? 
The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in the Shadow Marches, at the Gate of Wind, the party is trying to stop the quarry from unleashing the chaos of Zoriat onto the material plane. And they succeeded. The Gate of Wind is established, and the long-ago war against Zoriat has been won. Then, the entire scene melts away. As the rest of the party fades away, Vesikad, the Kalishtar, is left alone in the ancient dreamscape. He hears footfalls behind him and whirls around to see his brother, Denikad, standing calmly. His brother's face shifts into his father's face then to another man who looks familiar, but whose countenance Vesikot does not recognize. After a few moments, it shifts to another man, then another, morphing several times a second, faster and faster until it becomes a composite blur, the faces of thousands of men blended into a single whole. The man opens his mouth to speak, and a chorus of voices pours forth. Vesikot can hear his brother's voice in there, and his father's, and his own. I have not been able to think this clearly for a hundred generations, it says. I had nearly forgotten what it was like. Cod? Is that you? I have so many questions, Vesicod pleads, addressing himself to what he knows to be his own quarry spirit. There's so much happening and I find myself at the center and I know nothing of what it means. I know nothing of what it means to be Kalishtar. To protect a people I've hardly known from ancient enemies that I know even less about, or to guard the world itself from an apocalypse, I am in desperate need of guidance. And if you are who I think you are, then I need you to speak plainly with me. There's little time left for riddles. Where are we? Is this Dalcor? Is this... And here Vesikot twitches for just a moment, struggling with his inner dichotomy. Is this... home? The man that is Cod stops, seemingly lost in thought, then lifts a hand to feel the air. His body flickers like his face, one moment tall, then broad, then lean, then short, the variations blending into a single, trembling form. We cannot feel the malevolence of a Lashtavar here. No, I think this is the dream space, a pocket dimension that bridges the chasm between Dalcor and the material plane. Then Cod blinks a few times like he's clearing his head. You are one of 10,000 Cods, stretching back nearly 2,000 years. But in this moment, our hopes rest on you. Vesikot protests that he doesn't know what he should do or where he should go. Cod tells him a few of the lives he has lived were diviners. He does not know what will come, but he senses this journey will take him someday to Sarlona. Vesikot must be careful there, for the Dreaming Dark rules most of the continent. But if he makes his way to Adar, he will be welcome. Cod also points to the psionic shard embedded in Vesicod's chest and tells him it will help channel his quarry essence. That is a shard of Cod. Then, Cod palm strikes Vesicod, sending him flying backward. The entire scene melts again, and the whole party is now back in the canyon, awake. The Gate of Wind stands whole, surrounded by the broken remains of the Hanbalon. The Treant Guardians of the Gate of Wind explain the situation. The quarry had slowly infiltrated their dreams over the last few years, putting all of the Treants to sleep so they could begin constructing a Hanbalon over the gate. The vision that the party had just experienced was the gate's way of healing itself by remembering how it was created in the first place by the gatekeepers thousands of years ago. Now, the Gate of Wind can be inoculated against the quarry's intrusions, though the other three gates have no such protection yet. 
Zan, the warlock, realizes that they have now seen the locations of the other gates in the illusory images during their vision, which means that it is now possible for them to teleport to the other gates. Unfortunately, Gersi was trapped in the vision too, pretending to be Sien, so she knows their locations as well. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about flawed heroes, uh, playing interesting heroes with cool, fascinating flaws that uh, aren't so big and devastating that they actually are villains. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is how you give a character arc to a PC or to an NPC. So you're not just playing the Mary Sue or Gary Stew or the the you know irredeemable anti-hero right because look we love anti-heroes right like as as players as consumers of media but it is a fine line to walk right it's very very easy to create an unlikable hero that the audience hates from the get-go and maybe the plan is oh they'll have an arc and they'll become more interesting or they'll become more likable or they'll become a better person but then the audience doesn't stick with you long enough to see that happen because they're already so turned off by the uh, initial, uh, their initial exposure to this character. Well, and in the case of an RPG, that audience is the other players who are stuck playing with you for the campaign. I find this happens a lot in like Star Wars media. Like Star Wars is really good at anti-heroes or like cool villains, right? Like Vader is at times an anti-hero and then he becomes a villain. And like, I think for a lot of us growing up, he was the original very cool villain that you want to know more about and then you hear more about his backstory and it gets worse and worse but you look at someone like luke who starts out really annoying and was a much less popular character and of course he gets cooler as it goes along and he becomes like a you know warrior wizard with a a laser sword but if you don't stick around long enough to get there with him you never find that out because you're just like why are his friends making fun of him Mm mm-hmm he must not be very interesting or cool. And doing this is tougher, I think, than making a likable villain, right? Because in order to do that, you you can just end up with a fan favorite. And once you have that, you know, villainous character, you can do whatever you want with them, right? Like they're a villain, who, who cares? Like there's no moral event horizon to worry about crossing. You just end up with a story that has no protagonist and it's just sort of, um, it's, a, it's a guilty pleasure for people to watch or to people to experience. Yeah, like the Vader comic books. (laughs) Right, right. You don't need a good guy. Right. I do think RPGs have a little bit of an easier time with a flawed hero at the center of a story or in the story because, you know, if you're watching a TV show, especially if you're watching like a TV show with a bunch of different episodes or, you know, you're watching a movie at home and this character is annoying you, you just turn off. You say, well, okay, I turns out I'm not interested in this, whatever, right? I watched one episode, I gave it a shot. I don't care. And I don't care that in season five, this becomes an awesome character, right? Right. At RPGs at a table, though, you're there are more things happening. You're more invested maybe in your own character rather than someone else's character. And in general, you're not like, well, I didn't like that session. Screw you guys. I'm walking out on eight years of playing together, you know? Yeah, a little bit of a captive audience. Yeah. Um, and also just by the virtue of the, like 
ephemeral nature of RPGs. You can't go back, right? Like Which you don't have to great. relive the early days when you're trying to find your character, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the the you know the 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 painful like super tropey ones before you kind of find your footing and figure out exactly who you are in this group and where you want to go. Right, the, the like terrible season one and season two before your show grows its beard, right? Yeah, or but adventure a, one and adventure two, you know. Right, but you know, we just all remember that they were cool, and that's it. I don't, uh, I don't have to go relive those sessions that I didn't enjoy from your character, and because then afterward we talked and we were like, hey, your character's coming across as maybe, I don't know, not helpful to the party. Right, like in an RPG, you can also change things midstream, mm-hmm. right? right? Certainly, certainly more easily than like a showrunner can uh, change a future season of a TV show from feedback on forums, which you probably shouldn't listen to anyway. Or you know, feedback from Entertainment Weekly. Lost. Mm. Mm. All right, so I'll say before we like sort of dive into how to do this, I think the main caveat would be. When you're creating characters with flaws, which are sometimes, you know, they are a bad person or they start as a bad person, being immoral, being like a a villain or a bad a bad person is intriguing and interesting when it comes to fiction. But the thing that is completely unforgivable is being annoying. Even if like morally you you may have the higher ground over a different character if you bother people they that is when they will tune out and stop paying attention to that character and and, and when you say bother like the what what happens a lot in rpgs in the in the worst cases is that you bother them by completely invalidating their choices by reducing it to the moral floor right so if you if if three members of the party are trying to save the prisoners to gather the information and the fourth member decides to you know just kill them to avoid having to deal with them or torture them for the information or whatever well now you're just invalidating their choice right so it's okay to chuff at the waste of time of protecting the prisoners but to invalidate the choice of protecting the prisoners now you're just very annoying <laughs> to the players, much less to their characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember from when we talked about making villains, like you can burn a village to the ground, you know, that's, that is a forgivable act within, you know, most RPGs. If, if you're talking about, you know, character growth, mm-hmm. what you can't do is steal gold from people <laughs> because they will hold grudges against you if you get in their way. So if you, if the thing that makes if the flaw that you have given this character, whether it's you know a PC that's being played or it's an NPC, if the flaw is I screw over the party, that's never going to work. They're they're never that this character is never going to last long enough either uh, in game, right? They're not going to survive long enough to actually like become a better person, or right. uh, the party is going to walk away from that NPC and say we don't yep. want to engage with that. And, and also, like, we're using evil as the flaw here, but there's no moral imperative here, right? So the, the goody-two-shoes paladin in the party of, of rogues and scamps who is constantly preventing them from doing rogue and scamp things, you know, like, there's a reason that the paladin turns their back when it comes time to loot, <laughs> right? Like, the, 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 old, the old trope goes that, like, you know, what the rogue, what the paladin doesn't know, the rogue can't hurt. So... 
you know, like that that's the other side of this, right? Is like if you're in a in a party of rogues and you're the goody two shoes, like you've got to find a way to not invalidate their choices. Even if, you know, you might not have a moral flaw, but you have a character flaw of not fitting the party. Right. Uh, I think this happens a lot with um, TV shows, especially like TV shows originally made for kids or like with an audience of kids that sort of grow into themselves, right? The story becomes more mature, more interesting. Someone's been watching Star Wars Rebels. A hundred percent. That's exactly what I was thinking of. It starts. I mean, let's just dive right into it. Ezra Bridger is the most annoying protagonist I've experienced in probably a decade. And by the end of (laughs) season one, uh, uh, I just I actually was Googling, does Ezra Bridger get better? Because I didn't know that I could like actually suffer through more of him. But you get to end of season two, season three, season four. He's amazing. He's he's a great character. In the end, eventually, if you can get past his early days, and there's still a lot of people who either didn't get past his early days or can't forgive him for his early days, not for being evil. He gets more evil as the show goes on. It's his annoyingness that they can't stand. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk methods. And I think one of the easiest ways here to build in a flaw that isn't going to get a character rejected is past his prologue. Put the flaw in the backstory. It happened in the past, not in the current iteration. You have a character who's trying to redeem, who's already trying to redeem themselves for a thing that they did before, right? So unlike a villain where you have a tragic backstory and it only gets revealed once the players already hate them, the players should know, right? This They meet a noble paladin and the story that they've already been told about them is that they're atoning for years as a warlord right? One, that's cool and interesting and way more interesting than like, oh, here's a noble paladin stereotype and you know exactly what you're in for, right? Mm -hmm. But then you also don't have to have the characters engage with, do I stop this person from doing something terrible or doing something I don't agree with? It already happened. It's in the past. And like they're, they, they have already apologized and they're working on it. But like, can you get past that? Or probably almost assuredly you can get past it. It just makes the character more interesting. And then once you have this, it opens the door for more reasonable or playable or interactable flaws, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the paladin is insufferable (laughs) about trying to rectify this. But you now know why they are insufferable, right? This isn't just, oh, I, I created a paladin character and they're being a lawful stupid traditional paladin be and they're being a paladin for the sake of being a paladin you now know they are being a paladin who refuses to break any rules and always goes by the book because they're trying to make up for burning that orphanage Mm -hmm. right Uh, like now at least to the characters there is a reason for them to be like "Ah, yeah he's got a stick up his ass but i understand why it's so far up there yeah he doesn't have a lot of moral leeway at the moment (laughs) yeah uh there was one time that they gave themselves uh a wide lead and it didn't work out so yeah i guess i get it right and and so you know like if that creates a little extra level of friction you know for the rogue to go do his rogue things then like okay well at least we understand why that is the case and now we can kind of play with that in the story um, it's also good to use relatable flaws, right? Um, overconfidence or arrogance uh, often 
can can be good to use, right? Like if you've got um, how you approach a role, uh, like the bluster with which your character approaches a role, if you're successful, you know, you're the best ever. And if you're not, you're making excuses versus, you know, the conciliatory, right? I'll try my best, guys, but I just don't know what's going to happen here. But I think I can get it. But I, I, I'll just do my best, right? Like you can play with confidence versus lack of confidence. Yeah, I think when when we think about creating a character and then giving them a flaw that you can work with, the thing that I think usually comes to mind is, oh, it will be, you know, they brag a lot or they're greedy and they steal from the party or whatever, right? And I think it can be fun and maybe even more useful to take your initial instincts, right? To take the idea that, oh, I will give them bravado or snark or recklessness or greed and flip it around. Make the flaw something like they are cowardly, they are gullible, they are anxious, or they are selfless to a fault, right? These are all things that allow other characters to help them overcome the flaw rather than having to fight, having the flaw be something that makes them fight against the party or have friction with the party, right? If, if my flaw is I'm scared and I don't want to go into battle, well, then that's an opportunity for the cleric or, or whomever to be like, either let's talk about why that is and get some interesting backstory or now, you know, the rogue can be like, well, don't worry, why follow me while I buckle swash. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's just a lot to that, right? If you if you're going to play a character for 12 sessions and you want them to be a, you know, swashbuckler, uh, you know, like a, a confident swashbuckler, then plan and and you want to introduce character growth, right? Well, it's tough to grow from confident swashbuckler, but right. it's very when easy I started to start for Yeah, it's very easy to start for start from uh, you know, shy and uh, and, and nervous uh, in session one, and then over the course of two or three sessions, grow into a more confident swashbuckler, right? Um, and then play that for the remaining eight or nine sessions, right? So just plan to grow into the character that you want from the start, and now you have a flawed character who is going to get an arc, um, kind of pre-planned. Yeah, like it's it's like that trope where you have a level one character that shows up with a backstory that says they killed a god, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, that it isn't really how this ends up working. Right. You might end up there, but like take it 19 steps back and think about where you might start. If you want to be the world's greatest swashbuckler, maybe you just start out as a stowaway who is way in over their head, mm-hmm. you know? And now the flaw is something that is endearing, that people enjoy about your character. Right. Like you you don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to use a sword, but a couple of us do, right? Yeah. Or, or or like the the paladin doesn't always have to be like tis, tisking the bard for lasciviousness, right? It could be that the the paladin gave away your war chest to an orphanage, right? <laughs> and it doesn't matter if they destroyed an orphanage or not. It could just be, oh yeah, there are people in need and I gave away our money. And you can be mad at them, but you're not going to kick them out of the party probably for doing that, right? Right. And also like, you know, bluster and confidence is a flaw in a level one character because level one characters are nothing. But bluster and confidence in a level four or five character that has grown from level one, well, now that's earned. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's not now, a flaw you're, anymore. now you're a real person. 
Um, and so, you know, like you, you don't have to even change the character, but you can grow out of the flaw, right? Mm -hmm. Or into the flaw, right? Or into the flaw, yeah. as it were, yeah. <laughs> now, you can also just do totally unrelatable flaws. Uh, so it's not that characters see themselves in the flaw. It's that it's so strange and alien that that's kind of cool, but also forgivable because I don't really understand it, right? There's something strange going on with this character. They like see dead people. Uh, they're the uh, last of an alien race. Uh, they're coming to terms with their mutant powers, right? Like it, it, it isn't um, a moral failing to have mutant powers, but in uh, a setting where people are afraid of mutants with powers, it's a character flaw, right? Yeah. In 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 most uh, in most settings or in most media, an orphan being an orphan would be the kind of unrelatable flaw, right? Mm -hmm. Like not having had uh, a family unit, and not that that's a flaw of the character, but it's a challenge that the character needs to overcome. Right. Uh, unfortunately, this being an RPG podcast, not being an orphan is probably the more likely flaw because <laughs> now you family? have ties that can be exploited. I don't understand. <laughs> so. That may be nearly unrelatable, right? You still have a close-knit family unit. Yeah, yeah. Like, no one else in the party can relate to this, but it does at least seem reasonable to everyone that this causes your issues, right? Like, wait, mm -hmm. sorry, you have to go to what? The holidays? Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess right. I guess if you can't adventure with us, then that makes sense. Your, your child's recital you have to be <laughs> home for? <laughs> sorry, you're inviting us to these holidays right <laughs> okay do we have to bring it do we bring I, a casserole what yeah should we... i bring something is a good I... berry enough oh no my flaws that i don't know how to gift right <laughs> um tragic backstory works here as well right um an unrelatable flaw like i mean you know the your traditional tragic backstory is like something totally out of left field that's like so awful and horrible that you understand why someone's a villain right it can also be very useful to be like, wow, they went through a lot. They are not a villain. You know, they came out better on the other side of it. If you escape the red wizards of Thay, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you, you know some of their knowledge. You, you have learned magic as a result, but like you have seen what the red wizards do up close. Like that is haunting. That that'll scar you, mm -hmm. right? That's a tragic backstory. Even if like you didn't lose anything personally from it, right? And even if like you didn't make uh, uh, the wrong choice, right? The character didn't make right. the wrong choice early on. Right. You were exposed to it and you left, but right. like you were still exposed to it. Uh, now, it might be that your idea of this flawed hero is that you do kind of want them to be a little grating and you do kind of want them to suck. Ah, there are the ways to do that, right? <laughs> 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 they, they can be awful, sure. But then they must also be impressive, mm -hmm. right? All can be forgiven by the rest of the party if it turns out that this character is indisposable in the thing that they do or completely unmatched, right? You're the only one who can cast teleport. I guess we've got to deal with you. Or right. <laughs> I, you, you are disgusting when we have to sit around the campfire and watch you eat. But in a fight, I don't want anyone else next to me except for you because... I I have watched you murder people with the corpses of their friends. Right. <laughs> you you gleefully lick the king's boots, but you do have a strong sword arm. Make sure that you're not making that ability that they're good at, right? If you are creating this grading character or you're, you know, making the NPC, don't make the thing that they're amazing at overlap with anyone or anything else in the party, right? 
it needs to be theirs and theirs alone. Otherwise, we'll just have the person we like do it. Uh, that and they will also definitely step on that person's toes and be even more grading specifically to that person. And of course, remember, that is unforgivable. Yeah, the, the niche protection is still still important, right? Because this is, at the end of the day, still a gaming group. Right. Which means focus on something like combat, healing, uh, face skills, right? Focus on Focus on support probably is the best way to go. Something that benefits everybody in the party or like a glaring weakness that the party has and, you know, doesn't have filled. Yeah, you probably don't want to be the alpha strike rogue in this right. case. <laughs> the spotlight stealer. <laughs> yeah, the spotlight stealer, right? <laughs> uh, and then this is sort of tangential to making a relatable flaw, but you can have this flawed hero be kind of like a mirror for other people in the party or uh, for the, the party as a whole, right? Like make their flaw very obviously the same flaw as... A party member right but then you can take it one step further or take it to its inevitable conclusion right so typically a regular party member is you know going to whatever let's just say um well let's just use hubris right you've you've got someone who's a little bit full of themselves fine that's that's something that you can you can deal with if you're introducing an npc you can make them full of themselves you can give them hubris but take it to 11 right uh in the way that the character who is a little bit haughty can look at them look at the new character and go oh that's where this ends i see um this is this especially works well if this is going to be a short-lived character like for an npc who's going to meet a tragic demise right like maybe they die heroically the flaw was that we we hated you until the moment when you gave your life to save all of us. Okay, cool, right? Or, you know, if it's an NPC, they die because of their flaw, right? So they provide the sort of right. wake-up mm-hmm. call to the character, uh, to the player character that they need to, you know, choose a better path. Right, your hubris doesn't need to be your fatal flaw. It can just be like a regular old flaw. Yeah, I, I think the other, the other part of this that's interesting in a party is like if your flaws are opposite, Right. Like one of you is overconfident. The other is underconfident. Right. And and the answer is somewhere in the middle. Right. Neither is great. Um, but like you both need to like kind of like one of you needs to be humbled and the other needs to be boosted. And to the degree that you can share that with each other. Right. You kind of form um, that sort of party bond and that sort of story arc connection. Yeah, I like that a lot. And actually, I think it can be a fun thing to do with two players who are building their characters in session zero and saying, actually, let's pick opposite flaws, but we care about each other, right? So <laughs> you're reckless and I'm cowardly, but I'm not going to let you go off and get yourself killed. So that is what gets me into fights, right? And you're going to drag me into fights. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't recommend uh, picking two flaws like, one of you is a psyker and the other is untouchable. <laughs> That's maybe not the best idea. <laughs> Unless both concepts have equal uh, mechanical support in Dark Heresy 2nd Edition. If, you know, if you decide, right, the psyker, the unsanctioned psyker steps out, blows everybody up, and then steps right back into the, the untouchable shadow and you both disappear. Turns out it doesn't give the untouchable much to do other than stand there holding his 
junk. Uh, I had a I had a great sniper rifle, and with enough bonuses, you can hit with a ballistic skill of twenty six. <laughs> <laughs> also, I was just waiting to find a demon to grapple, like a literal demon to grapple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just just let me fight psychers. <laughs> All right. So, how do we make our flawed hero matter to the party? One way to do this is to make them culpable, right? The flaw to this character was caused by or influenced by the party. Classic for NPCs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also, uh, this works really well for, you know, if you have a character die and you're replacing that character, right? I mean, a lot of times you're like, oh, they're a relative or whatever. Like, they could be the kid. Why is my parent dead? Like, why is my mom dead? Uh, Because she adventured with you, chuckle <laughs> oh, but, I thought it was because because you burned the village. <laughs> I mean, also right. <laughs> My name is Inigo Montoya, <laughs> <laughs> who is like a great character as an example of of a flaw. Right, everyone loves Inigo, but his flaw is he's too focused on revenge. Right, right. right. But that's also the thing that makes him cool, and not just like a random Spaniard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The catchphrase does a lot of lifting. Right. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is that redemption uh, is caused or influenced or or made possible by the party, right? If uh, if you know you are Inigo Montoya and need to avenge your father, and the party is on its way to the uh, to the Overlord's fortress, well, seems like a good time to tag along, right? I mean, like if your if your campaign is Princess Bride two, and now Inigo Montoya is the Dread Pirate Roberts. We solved the revenge thing. The party helped you solve that whole revenge thing. It's over. It's it's great. It, it's good that you had it, right? And it's also the reason that you're a pirate. Right. And we care about that because we put you here. Uh, and then you can also do this as, you know, the traditional hubris is a fatal flaw, right? And that's either we can all tell that this is going to lead to the downfall of the character. And you can make a PC. You can make your character be like, oh, I know how their story ends. And it's not going to be pretty. Right. And this is why. Or it's if I do not deviate from this path, if I do not mitigate this flaw somehow, then definitely it ends in tragedy. So, a couple things to keep in mind here. I would say, like, as you're creating flaws for your characters, often we think of like what's realistic, you know, what are what are the flaws that I know in other people or in me? But in an RPG, I would very much avoid most of the isms, right? Like racism is not a particularly interesting character flaw. Sexism, misogyny, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like those those just sort of like make the experience at the table worse for everybody. Yeah, at best you end up with crash, right? Like <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just the, the problem with this is that it's an unrelatable flaw, right? Like there's there's so few cases of real redemption from those types of from those types of problems and they're just uncomfortable for for the other people at the table because they're too real right, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. a challenge that you might face in real life uh that doesn't often see redemption and it kind of feels like you're romanticizing it and gamifying it which is somebody's lived lived experience so right don't maybe don't stay try away to, from that don't try to redeem an, a nazi as your as your character arc <laughs> right <laughs> or just in general honestly right yeah <laughs> Uh, And then the other thing would be, you know, with all of these, with all of this, like, be careful about crossing that moral event horizon. Every time you're introducing a flaw, think about, 
what is it that is going to be forgivable? And you need to take into account your setting and your table and this particular campaign. Uh, yeah, and and like and again, like I think there's a it, there's a an upper and a lower band for this, right? Like, you know, it, harm to children, for example, is probably like a, a moral event horizon that most groups won't go below. But but again, there's probably an upper level as well of like if you are too like stringent about your you know goody two shoesness, right? Where you are restricting gameplay. Um, then that is also above the moral event horizon, right? Like you have to recognize like what is the gray area in which play occurs and make sure that your flaw lands you within the same kind of gray area as the rest of your group or else you just end up with this kind of conflict that is ultimately like an above the table expectations problem, nothing to do with the characters themselves. Right, this is a group game pretty much always. And there is guilt by association with all of these flaws for everyone in the party. So, you know, have a little table talk and be like, is everyone okay if this is what my character does or this is who my character is? Would you still be associating with me? You know? All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's the sound of character growth. Yes, it's quiet. It's silent. It sneaks up on you. Well, if we're growing characters, then it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week we continue anime with Ash Ketchum. This is one of the anime characters that I know because my sister played Pokemon and watched the Pokemon cartoon (laughs) and Meowth, that's right. Okay, so Shane, then who is Ash Ketchum? He is the heel who is restricting Team Rocket from accomplishing <laughs> their very reasonable goals along with their with the best Pokemon ever created, Meowth. I don't disagree with you here. He's he's Pikachu's um uh sock Dad. puppet. Right. Okay. Uh yes, the world's premier Pokemon trainer. Of okay. course, in that he is the protagonist of decades of content. Yeah. Um, he finally won, didn't he? He won the world championship and like oh, I I don't no, know, I th- a couple I years ago. Know. I don't. I mean, I, is there a plot to that? It's a Saturday morning <laughs> cartoon, right? Like it, like it can't go anywhere. It doesn't have an arc. As well, far, that, I mean, at least what I remember of it. Didn't. Well, now he's they're they're finally going to be moving on from Ash. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, that's this is this is of course our homage. That's why we're doing this now and not oh, not because a, fair, a farewell to Ash Ketchum's. I just I just needed a. An anime character. Okay. All right. So what's the build? Well, I'm sure there will be a lot of disagreement, but it is Drake Warden Ranger 17 Celestial Pact of the Chain Warlock 3. Given that we have not done the Ranger tier list, you're going to have to remind me which one is the Drake Warden. (laughs) Ah, Drake Warden is one of the newest ones that sort of kind of fixes the Beastmaster in that you get a pet that is a Drake that... Uh, levels up in ability and it uh the action economy 
is much better in that uh, you just need to, need to use a bonus action to direct it to do things. Got it. And it, it's okay. pretty pretty independent otherwise. And it scales on your level and proficiency bonus instead of being static and awful. Yes, exactly. Great. Uh, and then, of course, Pact of the Chain Warlock gives you access to uh, high-level familiars who can also attack. So essentially, you have um, your main trusty sidekick companion who's always there with you and gets stronger and stronger as you get stronger so you're pikachu exactly and then you have a rotating selection of uh not quite as powerful uh monsters that you can choose on the fly every time you summon them your bulbasaurs your venusaurs your that's right yeah uh a selection of pokeballs that you carry with you great all right, so if you can, let's go Mark of Handling Human, which gives you an additional D4 to all animal handling and nature checks, unless you cast Animal Friendship and speak with animals once per rest, and you can target monstrosities with those spells. And look. Let's be uh, honest. <laughs> A lot Poke, of Pokemon, Pokemon are monstrosities. monstrosities. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. There's Some of them are animals. I'll, I'll give you Pikachu's mm-hmm. and then you're adorable covered. little lightning rat, but like Meowth, clearly a delightful <laughs> cat. Um, one that we should all aspire to have house cats that behave like. But, you know, I mean, Many like, you can't convince me that coughing isn't a monstrosity. <laughs> all right. So we kick it off with Ranger 5. Uh, Canny gives you expertise. We'll take animal handling because the main thing you need to do in order to train Pokemon is find Pokemon mm-hmm. and then train them, right? Uh, your fighting style, probably defense here is Got best. Your Pokemon. Yeah. And then your Drake companion starts as a small creature, grows in size as you level up. Uh, evolves, if you will. Evolves? You mm. <laughs> oh, then, I mean, then we got to go Charizard. I mean, this isn't like... Well, here's the interesting thing. Every time you summon your Drake companion, you can choose its elemental type. So you, you can say this is a lightning type, right? Or this deals lightning damage, more specifically. Mm-hmm. Or it deals fire damage. Mm-hmm. Totally up to you. Well, I just mean like Raichu doesn't really get large, you know? Like if you if you start from Charmander, like you, you actually like scale up in size. I see, I see. Yeah. Uh, so mechanically, the Drake acts in your initiative... The only action it can take is dodge, unless you spend a bonus action, and then it can use any of its actions, uh, which is pretty good action economy. And then you get, you know, some interesting second level spells like Summon Beast. Summon spells are also a way to access, um, you know, different types of Pokemon that you probably don't usually have access to. Right. 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 You might just get a you know in a one off for just this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, another trainer lets you borrow their Pokeball. There we go. Uh, then we go Warlock. We're only we're only getting a little bit out of Warlock. Uh, we like Eldritch Sight, which lets you cast Detect Magic at will. Uh, later iterations of Ash have like this Aura Sight thing where he can see like the auras of living creatures. Um, it's because he spent time with Pokemon who also have this Aura ability. Um, and then, you know, he's able to like eventually manipulate it into like being able to heal you know, other creatures. So cure wounds and healing dice also come from Celestial Warlock. Show so dumb. Okay. What else? And the, and there you go, right? You can't just stay a 10-year-old kid forever with the stats of a 10-year-old kid or <laughs> he's going to die. Uh, you get fine familiar and then you get access to the upgraded familiars. And you can forego your action to have the familiar attack, which means if you give up your action and then use your bonus action, you can have the Drake and your familiar attack. 
So you can just stand there on, I don't know, the sidelines and watch your Pokemon attack. Um, and the upgraded familiars are, are quite good, right? You have Imp, Sprite, Pixie, and then one more. Oh, Pseudo Dragon. Um, there isn't really a mechanical reason that you would then select. Wait, don't Pixies okay. get Wish? Uh, no, they get. Uh, Improved invisibility. It's, um, is it one of the holds? It's one of the good, like, mid-level spells that are great. I forget. But that's, that's the reason you want, you want Pixies. Let's look up. Doesn't matter. Um, there isn't really a mechanical reason that you would summon like one of the normal familiars when you have access to the improved ones, right? Like the bat and the fish and the snake and all that. But you do have access to them if for some reason you want to summon a lower level Pokemon or a different type of Pokemon, right? So like altogether, you probably have about 15 different stat blocks that you can choose from every time you cast Find Familiar. Yep. Which is really just selecting a different ball. Um, pixies get greater invisibility on themselves uh, at will and they get polymorph oh that's it polymorph yeah yeah and yeah. they also get a bunch of other useful stuff confusion dispel magic fly sleep uh for invocations in addition to eldritch sight i like investment of the chain master that lets you add a fly or swim speed to your familiar if it doesn't already have one of those or you can put the other one on it Makes its attacks magical, which is important if you're actually fighting with them. Gives it better saves. And then it gives it... Uh, you can use a reaction to give it resistance to damage. Which makes them much, much tougher. And then you just cruise on to Ranger 17, which gives you multiple upgrades to your Drake, including flight, a breath weapon, uh, additional elemental damage bonuses, and then elemental resistance. And of course, you know, reflavor these, right? Like, you, they don't all need to breathe an element out of their mouth. Yeah. And then you get a bunch of spells that are going to lean into the Pokemon type, right? So conjure animal, summon fey, uh, summon elemental, locate creature, awaken. It, you know, where uh, do I find this Pokemon? I mean, that's just Pokemon Go is locate creature. Right, right, yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> since you care a lot about your Pokemon, you're a trainer, you get revivify, aura of life, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then if it really comes down to it, there's a special super secret Pokemon or whatever. You have awake, awaken. Yeah. Um, sort of as, as a capstone ability where right. you could be like, let me actually like make you a real person. Make a new Pokemon. Right. <laughs> make yeah, well, now I've turned you into a monstrosity. <laughs> right. Their word, their word, my, not mine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call you that to your face. All right. Well, now that we've solved the Pokeverse, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about taking inspiration from the D&D movie. You know, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was pretty I mean, good. look, it's, it's the best D&D movie ever. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it's the best D&D branded movie for sure. Mm. Uh, it is. It's there with Onward. I mean, Onward is... Oh, I see. I see. Tough to you're, beat. You, right. You're you're going beyond. I got gotcha, you. I yeah. got gotcha. you. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. What about the character creation forge? Ah, uh, it is still anime, so we are building Kurosaki Ichigo. Well, that's it for episode 341 of Total Party Throw. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.